Hello, everyone. It's Aline. I'll start the show in just a second, but I wanted to let everyone know that today's interview is with someone who was in Ferguson while the protests were happening a few weeks ago. So we talk about that a little bit in the first 10 minutes of the show. If you have kids, you might want to skip the first 10 minutes or listen to the first 10 minutes on your own before proceeding with the rest of the show. And now, here we go. Welcome to Less Than or Equal, the podcast about pursuing equality in geekdom. I'm your host, Aline Sims, and today I am joined by Greg Thomas. Greg, welcome. Who are you? Can you tell people a little bit about yourself? I'm terrible at telling people about myself. I don't know, 28. Uh, grew, born and raised in Chicago. I work as an information security engineer and assistant administrator right now, and I talk about diversity at tech conferences. Uh, I'm black. I'm very black. Like super black, like Rick James black. Um, that's about it, really. I mean, I, I, I mean, there's, I mean, I was in the Marines. I was a registered nurse. I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff. I'm just really hard. To, you know. It's a hard question. It's an intentionally hard question. Um, it really is. But I like to ask it because it gives people the chance to set the tone for how we talk. And so I like to give people that opportunity. Um, let me tell you how I found out about you. You were recorded at about, I don't know, 2.30 in the morning um, in Ferguson by, I believe it was Vice. Yes. And I'd been watching watching everything with Ferguson and abject horror. And, you know, as as you've read on the website, this this podcast is specifically for kind of the geek space. And so I was listening to you talk and I, I was like, oh my gosh, she has all these amazing things to say, all these intelligent things to say. He has a perspective that I, I don't have and I've never considered. And I'd really like to talk to him. And then you were like, oh, yeah, and I'm like a systems administrator and hacker and I speak on diversity. And I'm like, I have to have this guy on my show. So um, so that's how I found out about you and um, why I was like, oh, it'd be, you know, he speaks about diversity. So he'd be a good person to to talk to maybe and dissect a little bit about what's going on here. Let's talk about Ferguson a little bit. All right. Uh, we can talk about that. That that Friday night was a long, long night and a string of, I got there on Thursday, that Thursday afternoon and I actually hadn't slept from that Thursday afternoon all the way to when I left, uh, that Sunday afternoon. Um, was well, Sunday morning. So like, I was like, I guess on day two, day one, it was past 24 hours of being awake. So we're at a 30, so we're at a 40 hour area of constant alertness. So it was definitely a, uh, that was more of a, it, that rant wasn't anything I planned or first off, I didn't know that was being live streamed. I didn't even know vice did live streams. I just knew about vice cause I saw a couple of documentaries they did on like the drug trade and, mescaline and stuff like that just different things i see but i thought they only did documentaries so that's what i knew so i was like i'll say a couple things maybe they'll make a sound bite out of them maybe they won't whatever whatever but you know it'd be cool like if they're out here filming vdds and those certain things and maybe they'll use a sound bite or something that's like the most i knew and after i had done that my phone was at like seven percent so i turned it off like an hour beforehand plus you know we had stuff going on with the police try to rush us, the, some of the looters. It was just a crazy thing. So my phone, I turned my phone off. So just in case I like got shot or something, I could like call my mama and be like, hey, mom, I'm shot. Sorry. You know, but 
Um, so after I did that, I decided we were leaving. It was like three thirty in the morning. We decided to leave. It was just too crazy out there, and it was just yeah. So, um, I turned my phone back on and put turn my phone back on, put it back in my pocket. It takes about a minute to boot. You know how phones are, and my phone just starts buzzing immediately and does not stop vibrating for like a good two minutes. And I'm like, I have no idea where my phone's vibrating. I open my phone. I've got like. 30 text messages. I've got like a whole slew of, of new followers and people were mentioning me and I was like, what is going on? And then I find out that I had spoken on a live stream and that the internet was going nuts. And then I'm looking and then my name is now trending in the United States and my username is trending in the United States and people found my LinkedIn and my Facebook and all my Twitter accounts and it's just it was so much happening at once that I like was just like well this it, I completely was like well I'm not talking about anything for a long time now so and it was just crazy like I went out there I actually went out there because I was like if this is where the front line is as a United States Marine I was like if this is where the front line is and these, and, and if I've been sworn to protect the populace from enemies, both foreign and domestic, and you have police officers out there and state actors being supported by the government to basically discard the Bill of Rights and the Constitution due to race, then it is my duty to be out there to protect those people and to protect that community from whoever, from enemies, both foreign and domestic. So whether you live down the street or half the world away, you're not doing what you think you're about to do here. So that's why I was down there. Well, and I think, so for me, I heard about the shooting death of Mike Brown. And like a lot of people, I was like, this is this is terrible. But I didn't really know what had happened. You know, I, at that point, nobody had. There were conflicting reports. There were already some procedural, police procedural things that had happened you know, leaving his body in the street and that kind of thing that kind of made me think, oh, you know, this procedure that was a message. Yeah, that was a message to that to to the community that this is what we do to you. This is what we do. Like, I just read a thing like not five minutes ago about how a, a university a, a university student from Philadelphia he stood in front of a my he was laid down in front of a monument with fake bullet holes and everything like that and lay perfectly still for an hour like Mike Brown's did in the street and white people were just taking pictures yeah. in front of it and stuff like that and there's a website called uh, withoutsanctuary.org that specifically shows white people at lynchings and they not only at the lynchings posing and taking pictures in front of a dead hanging body but then they put it on a postcard and then write sweet messages to their family on the back of the postcard and on the other side is just you know black 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 guy's body hanging there you know just something to do like that's ingrained within this country like that's what i was saying like it's ingrained within every form of media like these are the people that grew that, and people say racism is not like no those people had kids and those people taught their kids what they believe and those people have kids and they taught their kids that's why when people say racism is dying i tell them to get on xbox live get on xbox live and play call of duty for 30 minutes you will see that racism is very alive and well from your average 11 year old kid white kid on the internet trust me right. it is alive and well and guess what those 11 year old kids grow up and they get jobs and they have families and they have kids 
Well, and it's so I told you a little bit before before I started recording. You know, I'm from a very small town. It's an all white town. There was there was a black woman. She and her husband retired, decided to move to the town when I was in. I don't know, middle school or high school. And it was like this big deal. And I remember somebody going like running into her at the little, you know, tiny grocery store we had and saying, you know, she was really nice. And I remember thinking as like 12 or 13 years old, why are you even making a point of this? Like, what what do you expect is going to happen? And then I moved from there to a very, very um, homogenous white area of Phoenix you know, we have a couple of black community members and, and it, it amazes me how little I considered that racism is alive until the events of Ferguson. I was like, I knew what happened. I knew racism was still, still something that people of color have to deal with all of the time, but I did not realize the extent of that. And, um, and that's, it was a huge wake up call for me. And, um, and now I'm like, okay, now we need to figure out what well, to do about let it. Let me tell you, let me tell you, well, I say the main problem with racism that's happening is the key thing is that, that when it comes to the average white person that doesn't believe they're racist, doesn't, they're, here's the thing, they know racism exists, but they don't know any racist. They like, they're like, well, I know racism is everywhere, but I don't, every, like, how can you have racism without racist? Like you can't have one without the other. Like. Like that is just a mind-boggling thing that people like. Then the thing is, the media has painted racism like people who are like Clive and Bundy, or uh, like like they're just over-the-top, cartoonishly racist. For and not realize most racism that people that that people of color encounter is very subtle, very under the cover, very low-key. It's nothing like I don't walk into an office and someone goes. And runs off like that. That doesn't happen. That racism really doesn't exist because that guy would get fired immediately. Because like you can't have that openly. But what you can have is hiring practices. Like we don't drug test, but we background test. Knowing that one in three black men have been in jail and prison on parole, probation right now. So like you don't drug test though. White people use drugs at a higher rate than white black people. So even in your hiring practices, they're with they're discriminatory, but they don't look discriminatory on the face. They're not prima facie discriminatory. But when you look at the statistics behind everything, you go, well, yeah, now that you put it in a actual context, that's and that's another thing. There's a lack of context. People look at racism in a vacuum, in a one-off, like this person's cartoonishly racist. They always say racist thing, this, that, and third. And they don't realize even the person with the best intentions can do something that is racist, like that. That will be that is racist and falls in line with institutional racism and how institutional racism goes. Well, it's like um, women in tech. So I I'm in the tech industry, and something that um, that we talk about a lot is death by a thousand cuts. You know, it's it's not the big blows; it's the little nicks here and there that add up to this this inequity of life and this inequity of the way you're treated, whether it's a sideways glance when you're walking down the street or, or on a policy level, like you're talking about, it all, it all adds up to this, this thing that we really need to pay attention to. And we really need to examine what we are doing. Like I, as a white person who, as I've admitted, I have no experience with this. I need to look at my biases because I'm sure they exist, whether it's towards people of color or 
um, religions or whatever, I need to start thinking about this and start really examining my thought processes. And that's something that's hard to do. And, and like you said, it's, it's not, people think of racism as big things, not their little attitudes that add up, you know? Right. Like to me, like when I encounter racism, it's when I get on an elevator and a white person immediately tenses up, like, and it, it happens every day. Like it happens every day. It is an immediate, whether they're man or women. See, that's the thing. Well, women in tech, they they feel fear in themselves. With racism in tech, we feel the fear of others. So, and now me, I'm used. I, it, it doesn't bother me because I've lived with. I mean, it bothers me, but it doesn't like day to day bother me in the sense that. Like it's happened my entire life, so I, I I'm used to it. It, it. It's messed up, but I've just become numb to that fact that yeah, I'm again this elevator, and I have to watch how I talk, the way I walk in the elevator, so on and so forth. You know where I stand, stuff like that, because I can I can stand on the elevator and everyone will move around me to like not be near me. Like you know, it's it's a lot more subtle here in the United States, but it's definitely it's not like Japan where I can like get on a train in the middle of rush hour where you like cram people in like sardines and i can have a good three feet to myself specifically because no one wants to stand next to a black guy on a, in a train in japan it's not like that though that i've experienced that too it's more of the subtle shifts the lean towards the wall the moving closer to the door than where they were standing it's the little things you see of people who just become hyper aware there's a black person in the room and and start doing little little stuff. Now they don't. And the thing is, I don't even think they're conscious of it half the time. Half the time, I don't even think they realize they're doing it. But but their their body immediately it relies on that all that fear and racial tension and racial prejudice they've been taught and learned over the years. And their body immediately when you when your body reacts to a fight or flight mode, you're gonna do things that you don't even notice that you're doing. You're gonna do things you don't even you don't necessarily even have. A positive and you know open control over it just might be autonomous and you just do it because that's what you it's all the things you've been taught and all the and when it comes it's just like fighting when you fight that's why you they make you do a punching a thousand times into a wall just to get to form right so that when your second nature kicks in when your flight or flight kicks in your body is on autopilot and does what it's been trained to do and so your mind has been trained for a certain level to for certain for around black people and you're going to do those things regardless of what intellectually you know if you've been just hammered day in, day out your entire life with these negative messages, your body's going to fall back on those. And it takes being hammered, you know, consciously overcoming it to overcome it. But if you never actually put in that effort, your body's immediately going to reflect back to what it knows. Your mind is going to go back to what it knows. So it's a it's a big thing. And it's just, I see the same thing with sexism in, in tech where women's opinions get ignored and, you know, and I've had to do stuff like, hey, it looks like she has something to say. We should probably listen to her because I have to actively. It is never on the, it is never on the shoulders. The burden is never on the shoulders of the oppressed to try to come up with a solution for the oppressor. Never. It's never. It's never there. It's never your burden to be heard in a room when no one's listening to you. It's their burden to listen and to actively take note that, hey, I might have preconceived notions about women in tech and so i when she speaks i should take active care to not put you on a pedestal but to treat you equally the same thing as other if i'm gonna lean in and be intent when this guy's speaking i need to lean in and be intent 
and listen intently when when she's speaking. I don't need to like go over the top and be like, hey guys, she has something to say. Let's all get on our knees and listen to her. Not like that, but I should take care, make sure I do the exact same thing for him that I do for him. And if I see other people, I should go, hey, she has something to say. We should listen to it. And we should listen to it in the same way, in the same fashion that we listen to that guy speak, or that guy speak, or that guy speak. And I'm fortunate in the fact that I don't have to worry about that. Like, I don't like comparing racism to sexism specifically because I'm because the level of fear is different. When men don't want to listen to women, it's because they think you're less than them. And sometimes when they don't want to see, and I can force people to listen to me because I'm a black man. And me being black and me being a man, two of those things, for one, if, I, if I'm a black man talk to a white man, he may think I'm lesser than him, but at the end of the day, he's afraid of me because of what I can, what I, he thinks I can do to him. So, so he's going to listen to me out of fear, but he's not going to listen to me out of respect. But I'm still getting listened to, so there's that thing on top of it that that women won't have. See what I'm saying? Like you won't be listened to because they don't fear or respect you. At least they they fear me, but that's a whole another issue in itself, you know? Because fear leads to hate and everything else. So, like, it's the difference between being hated and being treated like you don't exist. And women are treated like they don't exist, like you're not even in the room, or that you're just an object, like a house plant, you know? Versus being black, you're treated as if you're a threat and you're a constant threat. So you have to take care to be to basically assuage their guilt and their fear and whatever other emotions they got going on to make them feel like you're not a threat anymore. So it's a completely the the results in a lot of ways, at least in the workplace, are still the same, but how they got there is completely different. The, the destination usually ends up being you get screwed over, but how you got screwed over the journey is completely different. Well, and there are other other corollaries too. So I don't, in in the gaming sphere right now, there's a lot of, um, oh, I don't even know. It's just, it's a little, it's pretty volatile right now toward women. And, you know, I don't know, there's a, a woman named, um, Oh my goodness. Totally lost it. But she does Feminist Frequency, which is a YouTube channel and which examines tropes in video games about sexism. Absolutely. Yeah. And um yeah. like the Warcraft always being like the whole almost getting raped and the latest Tomb Raider and stuff like that and damsel in distress and how she's this world class person, but then she just falls back on these same, Oh, I'm a damsel in distress, I need a man to save me. Yeah, I've seen her stuff before. Yeah, so um earlier this week she was threatened to the point where she left her home because people were like, I have your address and I'm going to come harm you and your family. And and so it's in some ways it's, you know, the being ignored definitely happens, but we're also, you know, as far as the gaming world, it's kind of bubbling up to this point where women are being physically threatened. And, you know, that's, it's, it's bad. <laughs> it, it, it's bad. And, and that's the funny thing. I think more tech women need to, and it, it sounds crazy, but it actually makes perfect sense if you're looking at it as a whole. That's why women, because there's a lot more white women than black women. And it, it, it happens to black women, but not as often. But women in general in tech need to align themselves with black men in tech. And the reason why I say this is no one's going to threaten you if 
your partner in crime is a black guy. The reason why, because if they feel, because if they think by threatening that woman, they're also threatening that black guy, I never get threats. I say the most crass and outlandish things. I say white people aren't shit in my, one of my diversity talks, and everyone laughs. No one sends me a death threat after that. No one goes, I heard what you said about white people. I'm going to kill you, boy. Like, even when black people get death threats in 2014, that, like, from random people, it's usually, like, throwing, like, perfect example, what happened to Ferguson, someone threw a noose on the lawn at, in the middle of the night. Like, like, they won't even do it to your face because they know what's going to happen if they do, that they will lose that fight 10 times out of 10. If you don't have a gun, you're going to catch these hands. And they know that. So that's why I've never received it. Even when I'm looking at the landscape of, People who disagree with my rant, when I go to different places like 4chan and stuff like that, even the people who disagreed never tried to threaten me and they never tried to find out. And here's the thing, my where I live and where I work and all that stuff, all that information is publicly available. So if you want to find me, you can come get me. If you want to, if you really want to see me, you can come see me. Whether it's in the street or the boardroom, you can see me. But no one ever really tries that because I'm a black male and I was in the Marines. They're not gonna test. They're not gonna try to test my patience on that. They're not gonna see if they that they really got the stones to try to do it. But with a woman, they're like, I'm stronger. I'm bigger. I'm, you know, this that, and the third. I, I can, you know, I I can overpower. Like they don't see you as a physical threat to them. And men tend to react with things they don't like in a physical nature. They try to re they react to things that they hate or dislike through physical violence. That's just what men do that's their that's you know that's their thing so um like so when they so i don't i don't get that i just don't get that and i won't ever i probably will rarely if ever receive those kind of threats because my response is all right come on in let's do it you you trying to come here's my address here's my phone number let's get down with the get down you really feel that strongly about black people being nothing and this and the third i'm gonna show you what nothing looks like you know like and that's and and they know that's how another man's going to react to it they know a man's not gonna complain or get on twitter about it or anything else. they know a man's gonna say hey you know where i'm at you see where i'm at if you got a problem come find me 4 p.m i'll be here so I, that avoids that so i feel like if women did align themselves with black men that would actually probably save them a lot of trouble They're like well i'm gonna threaten her yeah but you do realize if you threaten her you're also threatening him <laughs> and it sucks that it has to be that way that a woman would have to align themselves with another oppressed class just to combine forces like voltron to be <laughs> to intimidate the oppressor you know, to use their both of their, and it's re- what really the funny part about it is, if you're a white woman combining yourself with a black man, because that's something even media. If you notice, movies actually never show white women with black men. They show black black women with white men all the time in movies, all the time. But but America in itself is not ready to handle seeing on a regular. Even Will Smith in all his movies, when he's with a light skin with Rosario Dawson or uh, what's the uh, Zoe Saldana? Like literally, even what was the last one he was in a white one with? Uh, uh, I Robot, where they kind of had a romantic relationship, but they never actually showed any romance. Not one kiss, not one hug, any of that stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like, so they put the they put, they put romantic tension in there without any romanticism. I'd never considered that. 
that's what I say. If you if if the media in the geek space put out that had white women and black men together work doing stuff, like the amount I feel like the amount of threats would immediately decrease. The amount of hate would increase dramatically, but the amount of actual people trying to actually try to get you fired and harass you at a job or something like that, oh, that would go on the toilet because they know they got to deal with that black guy too. So I really think this is an interesting idea. And I'm, I'm wondering how, how could, how could I, how could I facilitate that? Or who could I talk to, to, to start? Well, here's the issue, here's the issue because you're going to have, you know how they always say the vocal minority is usually the craziest. So you're going to have, and you're going to have a vocal minority of feminists that are going to immediately go, why should we have to rely on a man to keep ourselves protected? We should be respected by, by virtue of being a human walking this earth. We should respect it. And I agree 110%. I'm not going to take anything away from that. But that's an ideal. That's not real. That's not the world we live in as of this day on this earth. On this day of this earth, if you want to stop being threatened, these are the things that you should do if you want to stop being threatened. Until we get society to a point to where people do respect women as equals as men and this and the third, this is the reality of things. The reality of things is if you get in your soapbox as a woman, you're going to catch hell and you might get death threats and physical threats. And the reality of it is, if you get on that same soapbox with a black man standing behind you or on the side of you, I'm not going to say in front of you because that's then, then you're not even on your soapbox. You're just standing behind a black dude while you're talking, which is weird. But if you're standing beside you or behind you, guess what? Mount of your death threats drop dramatically. Why? Because they have to deal with that black guy. I guarantee you no one's going to yell any ignorant shit at you <laughs> at a conference if the black guy standing right there like, excuse me? Oh, oh, so so these hands, you you must want to catch these hands. I feel like your your hands are your face is open for catching hands right now. So I feel like that's what's gonna and and they know that. Like that's the thing. People who hate are hating out of stupidity. This isn't like I feel like that's another trope too, that these guys hate because no, most of these guys hate because they haven't accomplished anything in life. They don't have anything to show for, it. they don't have anything to note, and they're like, I'm a white man, I should have gotten what I've gotten. Be-. You know, basically, they wish things were back in the 1950s where all they had to do was be like, hey, white man's here, I, I deserve a job. And, and that's how things went. Like, you know, but now that they have to compete with women in the workplace, they have to compete with minorities in the workplace, and they're like, being half assed and being mediocre doesn't cut it anymore. You have to actually compete. There is actually a game afoot now. Now you don't have that three, three, uh, three lead rate, three, uh, what is it called? Uh, how many times do you go around a track? Whatever it's called, three lap. You don't have a three lap. Lead three lap anymore. lead. Yeah. Now I'm my car is next to you. I've caught up. I have caught up to you now, and now you actually have to put your foot on the pedal, and you've forgotten how to drive. You've never, no one ever taught you how to drive because no one before you had to really learn how to drive because things were afforded to you by virtue of institutional racism, institutional sexism that, well, this woman, even though she's skilled, she's not going to be good enough. So we'll overlook her. Let's hire this guy. that looks like me because people tend to hire people that looks like them. And so that's why you have to have diversity in who is engaged in the hiring process and who's engaged in stuff like that, because that's what's, messing people up now like i went to an interview with a company here in chicago i'm not gonna put out their name but um i went to an interview with a company here in chicago and as i was interviewing with a guy i looked around and he had a he had a framed picture of the obama bucks with obama looking like a monkey with the big ears and fried chicken and watermelon on each side and stuff like that and it was a great in- no here's the funny part that was a great interview though 
fight the guy was nice. He was cordial. We used to ask the technical questions. We did some whiteboarding. It was it was a great interview in that aspect. But then they called me in for, you know, like, we want to make an offer. I was like, I have to decline because your office has a cultural racism. They're like, what do you mean? I was like, you have an Obama. But, like, that picture came out of racism. Like, you found it funny, and that's an issue. Like, you find racism funny. And you find it funny, like, when, the way I find racism funny, because it's so ridiculous to be racist. It's so ridiculous to hate someone because of color skin or because of what naughty bits they have down there. That racism is like, they're stupid. But you find it funny because you think black people being portrayed as monkeys is funny, and that's not, and that in itself, as a white, like, you shouldn't find it, you, you should be disgusted that other white people do that. You know what I'm saying? Like, that, that's what I mean. Like, you... I don't know your background enough and you don't know my background enough to just have that problem displayed in your office. See what I'm saying? Like I like that like you should be conscious enough that even I, me as a black person, if even if I found that funny, which in a way I do because it's it's so hilariously racist that I find it funny, I would never have that problem because what if another black person walks in? They're going to think something like why would you have that? You know, they don't know me well enough to make a call about that. So make a call about me or the reason why I would have that. They have to make an assessment based on their life experience. And me, I have to make an assessment of all this white man having that picture in my life experience. And that show, in my life experience, someone thinking that's funny and want to have it displayed means they hate black people, that they think less of black people. So I, I can't sit there and try to have a whole philosophical discussion with someone about why they decided to add a picture in there. I got to make a split-second split decision based on what's good for me and, my, and, and historical reference. I have to look at history. And I'm looking at it, 400 years of history does not paint a good picture about why you'd have that in your office. Yeah, no, it's, 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 wow. But in some ways, I'm kind of like, well, you dodged a bullet with that because um, they told you, like, up front, without even meaning to. They, yeah. It was just there. So you know full well that you would have got into that job and it, it would have been something, you know, every day that you had to deal with. And that's the thing. I, I don't think there's certain situations I have no problem dealing with. Like currently right now, I'm the only black person in the main office, you know, which is where the most of the people work, which is where I work. And I'm fine with that. That's a situation that does not bother me because I'm because I understand because some people go, why would that bother you? Because you can't look at that situation in the vacuum. You can't look at it as I'm the only black guy in the office. Well, why would I be the only black guy in the office? Well, Tech isn't really pushed as a thing in schools or it, by the community as a thing for black people to get into. I mean, we have a few initiatives now, like Black Girls Code and stuff like that. But in the general sense, it's not pushed to do a thing. It's just like, why is Neil deGrasse Tyson the only black astrophysicist you see? Because it's not a thing that is pushed in our community as something to do, as something that black people can excel at. So, um so the re so I can look at it and go, well, black people really don't go to college for this. We really don't learn it in school. We really don't. There's really no defined pathway that someone can go as a guidance counselor. Here's how you become a system administrator. Here's how you become an information security engineer. You go to this college, you major in this, you go do these kind of internships. Every person I know that got into information security got there a completely different way from the next person. I got there from being, I was a registered nurse, and I happened to have a patient that who worked in InfoSec. He told me, hey, you're a smart guy. You, you can do this, and we, can, and we can use more black people around. He was like, I'm tired of going to all these offices and, have, and you know, the settings be so monochromatic. 
And it made me laugh. And I was like, you guys had a sense of humor. And I was, you know, I asked the question. He talked to me about it. He was like, you could, like, not to make a slight against nerds, but he was like, you have a mind for IT. You have a mind. You understand this stuff. You grasp it at a natural level. You should definitely look into doing this. If you're having to be a nurse, that's, you know, you can do that too. But I feel like a lot of your time will be wasted by not getting into it. So I came into it from, you know, working at a data center to now I'm doing what I'm doing now for a living. So, I mean... It's everybody gets there a different way. So it's really hard to go to a kid and say, This you gotta go to school for this, you gotta do this, this, and this, because there is no real defined path. And so I mean it's a it it's a thing. So it's a whole historical concept of institutional racism, how they don't push tech in the inner city schools, how they're closing them all down, how they're underfunded and have brand new teachers who really who aren't even from the areas that they're teaching and just like we need community policing, we need community teaching because you got teachers from super suburban neighborhoods that don't have any minorities who are their first year teachers teaching for places like Chicago Public Schools. First place to get thrown into is inner city schools trying to teach to a completely different culture, completely different background. I don't understand. So it's a it's a huge thing in that aspect. And so I can look around my office and go, I know why I'm the only black person here. And it's not because my boss and the people who are in charge of hiring go, nope, no black people. I even talked to my boss about it today. He said I was the only black candidate for the round of hiring that I made it through. Like, so it's not like there was black people, someone standing in, whenever black people were sending emails going, nope, you're, you're black, email rejected. Like that wasn't happening. It's a whole social dynamic that happened way before that moment to where all those resumes ended up on my boss desk that influenced the the racial makeup of that pile of res, uh, resumes. It's a whole bunch of other stuff that needs to be addressed before we address this uh, the guy holding the interviews and his pile of resumes. Once that stuff gets addressed and his re- and I'm still the only black guy in the office, then I can take umbrage with it. But until then, we have to address all the other social issues that cause for me to be only black. And I, black. I think about that a lot. One of my friends has a foster daughter who is, who's black. Her friend is white. Her foster daughter's black, and she's going to be adopting her daughter. And she asked my husband and myself if, you know, if something happens to me, will you take my daughter and, and raise her? And I've, I've thought about it a lot. Like, okay, I know that there aren't a lot of people in color, people of color in tech. And, and, and why is this? And I'm kind of doing this deconstruction in my own head. Like, like if she wants to do this, how am I going to encourage her? And, and how am I going to, you know, and, and it's different because, you know, we're suburban. It's not inner city. It's, it's a whole different set of circumstances. But I think about how much we have to be missing out on because there's this whole section of people, this whole different perspective that we're completely missing. My last episode I did, um, I just did like a little six, seven minute episode where I highlighted 12 black people who have been influencers in the tech industry. And as I was re- researching that, I was like, you can't find no, 12. Oh no, it wasn't <laughs> finding 12. Wasn't the issue is actually, I had a hard time. A lot <laughs> Listen, it's only seven minutes long. I, and I actually want to do another, you know, I want to do that kind of thing every once in a while where I'm like, Hey, look, we wouldn't be where we are right now if it weren't for these people. And where would we be if we were helping them, acquire the tools they need to do this kind of thing if that's what they want to do. And and it's it's a problem that we need to solve. We really do. We're missing we're missing a lot. 
I don't know what to do about it. I don't know if we fund nonprofits and, and go into inner city schools and, and teach kids how to code. That's, that, that's exactly what needs to happen. Like, honestly, like, I feel like people who are sizzles and stuff like that, if you can look around your office and you're like, man, everybody's white and you've never asked that why, you're bad at your job. If you're, and I don't, and you know what? I'm about to put a company on blast. I don't care about it, even though I use it very extensively. And thank you for your platform for allowing me to be awesome. But Twitter is terrible at divert, their diversity initiative is horrific. Twitter's diversity initiative is just hilariously horrific. It's horrific to the point to where it's like, you can't be this stupid. You cannot be this like who is running your diversity initiative because they can't be a person of color they couldn't possibly or if they do they don't have any real power to do anything because you telling me you're holding you're committed to diversity and then you hold a recruitment uh, uh, event in the whitest part of of san francisco when oakland is like right there oh we're committed to diversity but we're not gonna hold it around here those negroes like come on like Let's be on hundred. Like the place you held it at was so inaccessible to public transportation. I was like, "What? Like, come on! You're not committed to diversity. You're just saying it because it's the popular thing to do. Just like most of these tech companies, they're saying it because it's the popular thing to do. It's the popular thing to say right now that we care about diversity. And by diversity, they mean we're going to add a few white women, take a picture, and say, yeah, look how diverse we are. It's a bunch of white guys and a few white women, and token black guy popped up in the back, or token Indian guy popped up in the black back. That's like, I almost said black guy popped up in the black. That's pretty funny. But yeah, like that's not diversity. That's a whole bunch of white people with a token. Like they don't know how diversity looks to other to people who are outside, uh, who are minorities from the outside looking in. They look like, well, we got a couple women. That's pretty diverse because they, because for them, the standard is all white guys. So anything that deviates from them is diversity. For me, the standard is not that. But the standard for me is. Uh, the racial makeup of the United States. So you got black guys. It looks like my unit when I was in the Marines. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's, a, it's, a few, it's quite a few black guys, Hispanic guys. You got some white guys. You got some white women. You got some black women. Like, it was very mixed. It was a, most of the units I've been in were very, very diverse. There's, there's people from all walks of life from different countries. I think in my unit alone, we had people who whose parents had hailed from, like, maybe 17, 18 different countries. And this is, a, you know, like, maybe 200 people versus, you know, all different colors. I mean, you can make the whole rainbow of different racial complexions, you know, out of our unit. Easily. Easily. Don't even take the whole unit. You can take, like, just one section, just supply or just, you know, and you could see the entire racial makeup of it. I mean, not to say there wasn't some sort of, you know, non-diversity in certain sections, like IT had all white guys, you know, or, you know, or the command structure was all white guys. But in terms of actually who the was makeup. in the unit, it, it was, the makeup of the unit, though, was very diverse. But when I look at some of the tech companies, like, we're committed to diversity. Really? 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 And speaking of that, I feel like, However, people are running, this is free advice. These companies, if you're listening to it, take it because you should use it. You don't even have to give me credit for it for them to come in and yell at your employees. I could do that too. But this is the thing. You have to understand that white people in general have had a 400-year head start in the United States. 
You've had a huge head start, and you've had, and every time black people have started to catch up, this country has condoned and enabled um, basically the destruction of black wealth whenever it popped up. Whenever black people started getting money and started starting their own communities, it got immediately raised to the ground. You got stuff like Black Wall Street um, and just stuff like that um, move in 1985, getting bombed in Philly. Like, that, those things happened. Whenever black people tried to organize and stuff like that, you got Pro, you got, you know, stuff like that. Like, that happens. And it happens very often throughout history in the United States. So, you got to understand that if I'm coming to interview. If you got a black guy coming to interview and you got a white guy coming to interview and this white guy knows like 10% more or is 10% more skilled and more experienced than that black guy, that black guy should get the job. You're like, well, the white guy is 10% more experienced. But yeah, but that black guy had to climb three mountains to get to that interview. That white guy had to walk, you know, walk 10 feet to get to it. If you beat, if we have a race and you're 10 feet from the finish line and I'm half a world away from the finish line. I got to climb all the seven deadliest peaks to get there. And you beat me by two seconds. Are we really going to go, well, yeah, the white guy ran an incredible race. Good job, white guy. You know, No, we're going to go, that black guy beat the shit out of that white guy, even though he finished first. But the simple fact that that black guy, how did that black guy catch that white guy knowing he had to climb all those seven peaks and go half the world away? You, you know that you, everyone knows they're going to give the accolade to the black guy versus white guy. But when it comes to hiring, it's, well, nope, white guy's better. Blah, blah, blah. You have to look at the fact that if that white, if that black guy was able to climb all those mountains, overcome all those obstacles, and still catch up to almost at the point of that white guy, imagine what he could do in right. your company. Imagine what he could do with the right toolage and the right tools and the right mentors around him. Imagine how much further he can go than the white guy who didn't never really have to work hard because Hand it, it to him. Hand it to him in a sense that not necessarily hand it to him because I, one of my mentors, it grew up extremely poor, just as poor as I did. I grew up in projects. He grew up living in a tent on the beach with his family, like super poor, walking miles of school as a third. But, but when it came to interviews, when it came to being in a room, when it came to networking, by virtue of him being white, regardless of him being poor, he was a white male and he got certain opportunities afforded to him by virtue of that. He may not, and the thing is, he may not even be conscious of which opportunities. He can't, he can't sit there and go, which ones are going to be just because of white male. But just the fact that people were immediately more, com- more comfortable with you by virtue of being a white male or more comfortable talking to you by being a white male. Like, I've gone to industry events and stuff like that and people... Now, mind you, everybody in the room there, it works in the field. Like, you know this and everything. Like that. And then, I mean, I immediately get questions. So who'd you come here with? They're like, oh, are you interested in this field? Like, they immediately don't think I work in a field and I'm just accompanying some white person to be here just to look, l- good. L- look around and listen. And, and, or look good or whatever. And that happens pretty often. And so... Looking at that, like that, that's something that would never really get said to a white guy there to assume he's there because he works in the field. They're going to get questions like, what company do you work for? Like, you know, what's your position? What's your title? Not, why are you here? You know, th- that's the, that, that's what I mean by he, he has that natural advantage, regardless of us both being poor. You have a natural advantage of being exposed to something, people being willing to expose you to certain things, being able to, willing to teach you certain things that take go to the wing that I may not have. And so that I made that, well, actually I have it, but only because 
I'm really, I'm naturally good at talking to people. I'm a natural speaker. I'm, I'm naturally flow within a room because of training I've had in the military. So I can, I can network, I can overcome those obstacles and network just as well, but not everybody's me. Right. Most people aren't me. You know, they don't possess those skills. They don't have the specialized training I received to do it. So in looking at it like that, you have to look at it in your hiring practices. You can't look at it in a vacuum and go, this guy is 10 more, 10% more experienced than this guy. This and third. You listen to their life stories. This white guy goes, well, yeah, I grew up in this really nice suburban neighborhood and went to one of the best schools in the, in the area and this and the third. Yes, this is natural for you. You never actually had any other social things to overcome besides doing the work. As long as you, all you had to worry about was doing the work. I have to worry about doing the work, make sure I'm looked in a positive light, make sure I don't get accosted by the cops, make sure I don't get accosted by regular people. Um, I just have so many other social factors I have to overcome to get to that point. You know, being poor, finding a way to get the books, finding a way to get a computer, finding a way to get internet that you didn't have to come because your parents pay for internet, your parents pay for college, you're able to get loans, all that stuff that I wasn't able to do that now you don't have to worry about. Those things should be taken into factor because though when you're stressed, it is harder to work when stressed. It is much harder to get anything done. When you're hungry or you're sleepy and you're stressed out, your work productivity plummets. So if with all this stress in my life, I managed to accomplish the same amount, the same level of work as you, imagine what I would be able to do with, with all your right. privileges. Imagine how much work I'd be able to get done if I'm not stressed by just the shit I have to deal with as a black person. And, and those things should be taken into account. The, the totality of a person should be taken into account. And a totality of their experience in life that they've had to overcome in life should be taken into account. I, I even said that, that during my last interview. They were like, what's the, what's the biggest achievement that you've achieved? And for me, I said being in this room right now interviewing, which you're a, comp- you're a hedge fund company in the Sears Tower, a place that when I lived, when I was poor, I would stare at and see all the people walking around in suits and stuff like that. And I'm poor and I'm dirty and I'm like, and I'm seeing all the white faces. I said, one day I'm going to work in that tower and I'm going to do what it takes to get there. And here I am after 28 years of walking this earth, I managed to accomplish one of the things when I was six, I was, I said I would do, and I managed to get here. So this in itself to my six year old self this is that six-year-old's greatest accomplishment because it finally got there. Regardless of all the things I had to overcome in life and all my experiences, I finally got to where I wanted to be. And that was my answer. It wasn't some president of student council or anything like that. It was overcoming every obstacle to make my six-year-old inside of me go, yes, we're here. Even if I didn't get the job, the fact that I was even able to interview them, I was there. I, I wasn't there as a tourist. I was there to be there as a person. And it was, and that, and that to me is a, was an accomplishment in itself. So that's why I say you have to take in a totality of experience for a person to really know a person. Right. And our interview processes aren't set up to do that. And in some ways. They're set up to benefit people. Right. Who benefit. Right. It's about, it is, it's all about, because I'm thinking about the interviews that I have done or the the resumes I have read, because we don't. You know, I was, I acted as, you know, first screener, you know, so, okay, this obviously isn't going to work, but this person might. Um, but even sitting down with, with the interview committee and, and coming up with questions, it's all 
um, in my experience, skill-based. It's not tell me where you come from. Tell me, you know, tell me what obstacles you've overcome. It's like, okay, here's in, in the programming field anyway, here's this whiteboard marker, go, go write a sample of code in this language. You know, it's not, it doesn't take those things right. into account. I feel like very little, I feel like very little of work is actually, even in text-based, is actually in the work. That's the, I mean, yes, the work is what makes a profit and stuff like that, but people work a lot better when they're with people in a diverse, like there's certain things, like in one of my talks, I show up a whole bunch of pictures of people working in the marketing field, an advertising field, that put up the most racist advertising. I'm like, there was never a person of color in that room. And you can see that there was a person of color in that room because they would have never ran with that. They would have never had that as an advertisement because the person of color would have said, uh, yeah, guys, um, fuck that because that's racist shit. Like, a person, that would have happened, but it didn't because the room was filled with white guys who were rewarded for already being rewarded in life. You were already giving all the tools in sense that you were already, you already had opportunities presented to you, given to you that were just will never be even in the purview of someone like, like you ask 10 white people, oh, you know what a system administrator or a programmer does, you know, this and a third. Most of them be like, yeah, I get it. But I go, when I talk to people in my own community all the time, where I grew up at, they have no idea what a programmer does, no idea what a developer is, no idea what any of that stuff is or does. That's what I mean by you can't know, you can't have opportunities if you don't know they right. exist in the first place. Well, Oh, I'm sorry. No, I was just thinking, you know, you called Twitter out specifically, but a lot of companies have been releasing their diversity numbers and they are all abysmal. Um, I think Apple. Yeah, they're abysmal. And, and, and yet they're committed to diversity, but they're all, uh, but y- y- your numbers are abysmal because they're still going, well, we hire the best for the position. So when I hear that, I go, we hire people who've already been given every advantage in life to uh, display their advantages. And not we we don't hire the the hardest worker. I'll hire the hardest worker over the best worker any any day. The reason why I say that is because the hardest worker will eventually be the best worker if he's enabled any tool. Because the hardest worker means he had to get to the same thing. He has to do ten times as much stuff. And we will go well. Maybe you know people go. Maybe you shouldn't be poor. Like what about bootstraps? Like you don't understand. Bootstraps only stretch so far. You know what I'm saying? Like at the end of the day, I like I I know I beat out a lot of people for a position I have, but I know that there's people that didn't apply that have that are way better than me. That had they applied, they would have gotten a job more than likely because they would have just been way better at the job. But these those same people I know that would have been way better at the job also had way they didn't have to worry about anything in life that I had to worry about growing up or anything. They they grew up with a computer in the home. They grew up, um, you know family paid for school. They grew up, they, they didn't have to work jobs and contribute money to the household. They didn't have to do any of that stuff. So I, I do, so I understand that. Yes. And I don't fault them for being better than me. I would hope you're better than me. If you're not better than me and you've had all these opportunities, you suck. Like you're terrible. You're terrible at your job. If you and me are at the, and there were people when I was working and I, when I was working at certain at data centers that, I saw had the same skill level as me, but had or less than skill level me, but you had every opportunity afforded to you in life. And they told me where they grew up, that their parents had money, that this and a third, and they were lazy and they were terrible at it. And I'm like, how is this possible that you are terrible 
given the opportunities you were presented to. Like, I mean, there are people who are terrible running companies who only got companies with their parents had money. You know, if, if we even the fan field on that aspect, a lot more bosses, there would be a lot better manager, a lot better owners, stuff like that. Now, some people, they came up with money and they're still good people. And I appreciate those people who over, because that's even something you got to overcome. You got to overcome your biases of growing up with money and being taught that people without money don't have it because they're lazy. And that's that third. And all you need is hard work and negate the fact that you need networking and connections. So there's that whole aspect of it. And I feel like that's really, we really have that bad in, geek, in the gig space of, because programming's hard work. You, there's really no shortcut around it. You got to do the hours. You got to put in the hours. You got to put in the time. And you have to put in the time to learn code, to learn syntax and everything else. So there's no shortcut to being a good developer. There, there's not. There's no, in terms of the output and the quality of work, there's no shortcut to that. It's just like being a musician. You got to put in the hours to be good at it. But people fail to realize, like, who bought your computer? Bought your programming books. Who made it so that you didn't have to um, work to uh, 80 hours a week to be able to enable you a time to learn programming, put in those hours? I feel like those things, those questions don't get asked and they get very much overlooked. Because if you take a developer who had to work two jobs and is just as good as a developer as a guy who was able to sit at home with his parents pay for everything... The guy with two jobs who I want because imagine what he could do when he didn't have to do 80 hours, didn't have to work 60 hours a week. Imagine if he could put those 60 hour week into programming. Like, I feel like people don't. Ask well, and questions. so, and, oh, I was just going to say that's part of what, like, I'm thinking these big companies publishing their sad, sad, sad diversity numbers saying we are committed to diversity. Well, put your money where your mouth is and start start scholarship programs, start going into these poor communities, to these racially diverse communities and, and telling kids, Hey, come learn this. We'll, we'll provide you with a computer. You can go, you can take this home. You know, there are things that these companies can do to actually enable them to be diverse in a few years. They can go into high schools and sponsor programs. You can, you can diversify an IT company within six months. Easily, easily diversify your company. I'm talking about to where it would match the racial makeup. Now, mind you, it would be a lot of hard work. It would be a lot of effort. And it will be tough because you're overcome, because you got to overcome institutionalized racism that's ingrained in the foundation of the country. That's what you've got to overcome. That is not an easy task. I'm not even going to pretend it's an easy task. I'm not even going to pretend that it's just a daunting task. It is a hard task point blank period it will be hard it will be difficult you're going to have people who are going to be and you're going to have people who currently work there who are going to be angry about it you're going to have people who are not going to like it you're going to have people who are going to get frustrated with it it will be hard but the reward at the end of it because now not only do you have a diverse you have a diverse force in your company who can bring ideas from different facets, different areas of life with different experiences. But then now, now you also have, you can also say to these companies, like all you tech giants, all you, all your other companies, when you're speaking to, speaking to business, to business companies, when you're speaking to your competitors, you can go, we have a diverse task force. We put in the work. We knew it wasn't hard. We knew it wasn't going to be easy. And yet we did it because we care because that's what our company is about. Our company is about 
everyone about equity, not just equality, because equality means everyone gets a everyone gets an interview. Equity means everyone gets an interview, and we take everything about that the totality of that person and their experiences into 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 our decision making process. And when you do that, and when you look at people who want to put in the work, because there's plenty of people who do do the work, but they're not passionate about it. They just know it's going to make them a lot of money. But when you got people who want to do the work, those are people you want. So what's your suggestion you know, like, for for the the six-month track to diversity? Oh, easily. If you know any black people in IT, ask them, because chances are they have a lot more black friends than you, or know a lot more black people. Like, hey, you know anybody over the age of 21 that wants to, uh, want, that wants to end up making the six figures in less than five years? You know, that wants to basically sit in an air-conditioned office all day and shoot Nerf guns at each other and write good code and, and hang out and have free beer and all the stuff that all these tech companies do and have game rooms and stuff like that. You want you know anybody like that? Guarantee you they know people. And they know people. But guess what, though? A lot of people can't afford to learn it. That's a, At the end of the day, I, they can't afford to learn it. I was fortunate enough that I saved up a lot of money from my nursing that I was able to afford to take three months off to basically sit there 18 hours a day, six days a week, and study system administration. But I am a very rare case. But so I would say, hey, you need to have more internships. There's plenty of 18 year olds, like, because how many people do we know in our field that actually went to college for? We got people who have masters of computer science degrees working on the people who never went to college, who dropped out of high school, who were that good at programming. So it's not about college or any of that stuff. So you can go, do you know anybody who's smart, who has some talent in math or science and understands it, who is 18, 25? They can put out the call. You will have people on your doorstep that are willing to come in if you can just pay them. Just, I mean, we're not even talking about full developer pay. We're talking like super junior iOS level pay. Like, for if you were to say, here's 40 grand a year, here's enough to live in an apartment in a not bad area, wherever you live at, basically look at how much housing prices are. Like, this is how much to live in a not bad area. To feed yourself, to take public transportation. No one say you got to pay for the car or other insurance. That's a luxury. Cars are a luxury. I don't even have. I don't drive. So, you know, he, he, to take public transportation if your place, if your company has that in the area. Hell, if you're Google, where you're on your own buses, you know, um, and enough to eat, enough to you know go out and buy yourself a few things, you know, to basically live comfortably enough to focus on learning this stuff to where you don't have to worry about bills or anything else that that stuff is going to be paid that you are making enough to pay for those things if you can take that stress off of them and you see they have a natural talent for stuff even put them through a one-week program have one week program have 30 people of color from all stripes of life come in and go here's a week-long program and make sure you target my people who are poor, people not in your social class, and their parents aren't in your social or financial class. That's what you have to go for. Don't target a whole bunch of Asian kids whose parents already own restaurants and stuff like that, who financially already have an entrepreneurial background, who, you know, stuff like that. Because, and this is the reason why I don't like when people target immigrants in, a, in certain areas, in certain times. Like, we, we hire immigrants at H1BB because when. You have people whose parents or, you know, second generation, whose parents were immigrants. You got to think about the fact that those people that came over here were in the top 5% of the people in their country. That's how they were, especially people who had to come over here across an ocean like China or Japan or Africa. Even when you have, you know, people from Nigeria. Those were the top 5% to be able to afford to come 
from another country to immigrate to the United States and buy a place to live, you already had to have money like that to get here to do that. So you already had a family who was already knew what success was and knew what hard work was and had a business mindset and stuff like that to do that. Like, well, people I know that are from other country parents were born somewhere else and they were born here or even they're an immigrant, but they come over here at like five or six. Their parents own like houses and businesses and stuff back at home. Like the back at home, they own like two or three houses in a, in a taxi cab company or something like that. Like they own stuff. So coming over here wasn't, it was hard for them, but it wasn't as hard as like someone from Mexico coming over here with a backpack on. See what I'm saying? So you also have to look at, like I said, you have to look at specific experiences, look at things in context. So if you take people whose parents are poor, they're poor, the grandparents are poor, and you go, we give you, you have talent, you have some natural talent, we're going to give you a week, we're going to see how much you can pick up, you're going to be, we're going to give you $1,000, here you go, and here's a week, and we're going to see who's the best of you at just naturally picking this stuff up, of Who's willing to put in the work and see who puts in the work, not just who's the best, who like who flew through your program who was poor, but they didn't really try. I don't want that guy because that guy's just as bad as a white guy who, you know, was afforded every opportunity of life and flew in, can fly through stuff, you know, and it's good because but he's not really trying. Give me the guy who does like a B minus. But that guy was up like 12 hours a day just studying this stuff and grinding it out and all that stuff. I want that guy because that guy could turn into an A-plus player. That guy I know with the right tools and the right mentorship and given the right path, that guy could be an A-plus player. That's who I want. And and, and it's going to be hard because you're going to have people who are used to working on teams where everybody knows their stuff. And now you're introducing an intern who doesn't know anything that you're going to have to teach from the ground up. And you're going to have to take time. And it's going to, you know, you're going to have to take away from your productivity in a way because you got to pull people you know, a couple hours off of people's projects to teach these people, teach people that stuff. But it's going to be worth it because when they catch up and when they're in and they're on the same parity level, they're going to be putting out so much more work. They're going to be doing everything because they're grateful. They're appreciative. It's, you have to, you have to market people the way drug dealers market having people sell drugs for them. I, and uh, you have to think like a drug dealer. If you're poor, if you live in the inner city, you're poor and you want nice shoes and nice clothes, so you can impress women and you can go out and drink and hang out with your friends and stuff like that and go to the club. And I come to you, I'm like, look, you're poor. You can either go down to Walgreens and make eight seventy an hour, or you can sell this drugs for me. I come, you know, you can sell this drugs for me, make a thousand dollars a week. Well, guess which one they finna choose? You're like, man, I could pay for my mom's medication. I could pay rent. I can get my own place. I can buy a car. I can buy clothes. I can afford to go out to eat in nice places now. You know, versus Walgreens, it's like you can get yelled at by another dude making eleven dollars an hour and treated like crap by customers all the time. Like, which one do you think somebody's gonna choose? Like, if those are my two options, that's what option I'm taking. And so you have to look at it like a drug dealer. You have to go. He's in the city's kids be like, look, you can make fifty thousand dollars today. I'll give you a job right now today. If you can show me in a week that you deserve it, I'm gonna give you the opportunity. And that's what drug dealers do. They're like, look, I'm gonna, I'm gonna front you some work. I'm gonna put these drugs in your hand. Let me see how fast you can sell through it. If I like, if you sell through it fast enough, then I'm gonna bring you on a team. I'm gonna cut you in. Blah 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 blah. Same thing with the IT kids. 
I'm going to bring you in. I'm going to see what you do. I'm going to see how hard you work, how hard you move through this code, how quickly you learn stuff. And then, you know, if I like what I see, we bring you in. And then we and we put you on game. And that's it's that simple. And it, that, But here's the thing, though. How many people have that life experience to know that, though, that, that that's what work, that, that would work? And have that background of knowing drug dealers, being, being involved with family members who do it and all that stuff, and growing up around it, to know that's how you get that's you have to know how to talk to the people you talk to. You know what I'm saying? So if you don't know how to talk to people like that, then you're not gonna It's not gonna do anything. You, you gotta right. figure out what appeals right. like, they were telling me that they were trying to go into these inner city schools. A couple of white guys I know, they were really good guys. They were like, We're trying to go into these inner city schools or trying to teach these black kids where it's like, hey, if you're interested to learn how to code and all this other stuff. We have an after-school program, and all that shows up are, even in majority black schools, all the white kids and the Asian kids. Why? Because here's the thing. All that black kid heard was, learn how to code. That white kid heard was, I learned how to code so I can get a job making $70,000 after without going to college. Black kid didn't hear that because the black kid doesn't have that context. He doesn't know that. He doesn't know that. Well, that's what coding leads to. Code, geek, nerd, I'm out. And that's it. That's not cool. Women don't like that. I'm out. White kid here is code, geek, nerd, $70,000 a year. Don't have to worry about college loans. I can learn how to code, and I've already got it in with a company because this guy owns a company, and if I do a good job here, he'll hire me and pay me good money. That's what they hear because they have context. They have social context, and they have their parents have that context that's put into them. Their parents don't have that context, so they don't know, so they're going by what they Literally is what, hurt, what they hear, yeah. Right. They literally just heard that. But the white, the other kids have context enough to know what that what that guy is saying as a subtext. And you see, black people miss out on so much subtext like that because of being locked out of those opportunities in certain occupations for years and years and years and decades and decades. So it's uh, like I said, you have to overcome all of you have to overcome all of institutionalized racism. And it's not easy. And you and I wouldn't deign to try to put it on just white people alone to do that. Like that you should reach out to the people in your field that have grown up that way, that know people like you know, that know that life to have them reach out. You can do the teaching and stuff like that and be the ally, but sometimes you gotta let black people reach out to them because there's a way we can relate that you, that you know, they never will. Like, when I talk to dudes, and I'm like, like, what do you do for a living? You make, you know, good money. I'm like, man, bro, it's so easy. All you got to do is this, this, and this, and this. I mean, it's going to be a lot of hard work involved. But, man, like, you work in a warehouse right now. Like, you can, you use your legs when you can use your head. And you can do this and a third. And then you can pay money for this. You can They send you places like this. You go to conferences and stuff. And it's cool. Drinks, bottles everywhere. It's all good. If I'm saying a thing, those are the things that are appealing to him. Those are like the lifestyles what appeals to him. And the, and like if I say all you gotta do is learn this work and this that a third and coding is fun because you end up making stuff and everything like that. It's like playing with Legos but with words on a computer screen and you get to create stuff. You know, it's all about how you got you gotta market what you're doing to different people for different purposes. Cause just like we know there's people in IT for the money. There's people in IT just to learn enough to make their own app and make and sell it to Facebook for a billion dollars. And there's people who are just like, I just want to code. I just coding this and the third. And we need all diversity of those people. It's like we need, because those people eventually 
end up owning companies that we then apply for and work at. So we need all those different stripes of people, just so we need all different stripes of colors and races and perspectives. So what I'm hearing is step zero is that these companies need to realize that their diversity efforts are not sufficient right now. And two, yeah. they need to get people in, you know, such as yourself, who who were raised in the inner cities, who know this is how this is what we need to do. And this is how we need to present it to the people that you want to get in here. Because what you're talking about, I've always approached it from the, you know, get them while they're young. I've never, it never occurred to me to say, hey, you're, you, you may or may not be a high school graduate, but you're an adult, a young adult. You can, you know, pick up and move. I'll move you out here, you know, put you up in a hotel for a week. You can start you know, diving into this and we'll see where it goes. And this is why you should do it from that perspective, because I don't have that background. They need people like you, people who come from there, who can speak the language. So now we need to figure out how to tell these companies that this is what they need to do because. Oh, no, they have no interest in listening to me. I can tell you that right now. I, I, I put out the call to, Hey, if you want me to come and teach you, teach your company diversity and actually show you a diversity initiative that actually will work because it will work because it it works <laughs> because I I know that's it's pretty much almost basically what happened to me when I was a nurse when he, he when I asked him what I was like man it seemed like cool like a good hobby for me but I like nursing but then he was like yeah I make one hundred forty thousand dollars a year I was like oh I think this is where I need to be then I should probably do this full time like. But he didn't realize. He doesn't realize that that's the thing that got me, though. He was just, just a. It was just a knuckles question he answered. He didn't realize that was the thing that got me. That he's like. Then I'm like, man, you probably. Then we start talking about just the stuff he does. I'm like, man, I can't do none of that stuff. So, like now I'm like, I need to do your field so I can start doing that kind of stuff too and live that kind of life. So, if you got to learn how to present it to certain people, different strokes for different folks, you know. But that, that's a, I feel like that's a big, big part of it is that people think that what moves them moves others and it doesn't. No. Yeah. You've given me so much well. to think about. <laughs> I really, I mean, this is why I'm doing the show is because I realized that, you know, there's no way for me to have your perspective. I need to talk to you to, to start thinking about things differently. And I really appreciate that you were willing to come on and talk with me. Um, is there anything else you want to say before we wrap up for the day? Uh, yeah, if you're listening and you actually have a diverse initiative, um, feel free to hit me up. I have no problem helping out and taking time off work to help with a diversity initiative and to actually put, help put the work in for that. So how do people contact you? Infosecgregory at gmail.com. Uh, my Twitter name is, uh, Minosec, M-I-N-O-S-S-E-C, Mike India. November, Oscar, Sierra, Sierra, Echo, Charlie. Greg, thank you. I always got to do the um, phonetic alphabet, <laughs> you know, military. Got to practice. Yeah. Keep those skills up. Yeah, you got to, hey, you know, got to gotta keep up with my marine, you know, you know got to keep up with all your skills and you're not That's using them right. all the time. Well, Greg, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed talking to you today. No problem. I enjoy talking to you as well. Thanks for listening, everyone. You can find the show on Twitter. It's at less than or equal. If you have feedback, suggestions for guests, or would like to be a guest, please go to lessthanorequal.com and fill out the contact form.
If you have a few minutes, it would be great if you'd leave a review on iTunes. Until next time, on an internet near you, I'm Aline Sims for Less Than or Equal. <laughs>